Hello and welcome back to On The Continent Football Chat with a European flavour. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. Andy, how are you? Well, obviously, I'm still thinking of ways that I can say my name at the top of the show that will annoy you. <laughs> I'm not sure if that worked this week, but you know, I'm fine. just trying something different every week and eventually it will work. No, just mix it up. That's what I say. I, 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 for one, although I can see that I am in no way, I have no way been dealt the, the toughest hand by this pandemic. I completely understand and I am self-aware enough to realise that. But at the same time, I am getting pretty bored of sitting in a little box room talking <laughs> into a mic and spending so much time on my own. So um, hopefully it won't be forever. But um, we're bearing up okay apart from that, aren't we? You're doing all right, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And your cats will miss you when you go back to the studio. So, you know, let's not run before we can walk. Yeah, that's true. They spend, obviously, in the summer, though, they spend a lot of time outside. So they probably won't even notice for a good while. As long as there's food in their bowl, mate, that's all they care about. <laughs> um, all right, coming up on to, uh, today's episode of OTC, we've got Spain and our friend uh, Javier Tebas. Uh, a really fascinating story coming out of Netherlands. I'm looking forward to getting Andy's take on that. And we will, of course, discuss the latest round of games in the Bundesliga. But first, we have some frankly astonishing news from France. We have witnessed one of the rarest, most exotic beasts here on OTC over the last few days. So do make sure you're sitting down. Um, Andy Brassel, my esteemed friend and colleague, was wrong about something in French football. Uh, Andy, I want to give you a right to reply in just a minute, but despite us having a great amount of fun at AVB's expense, he has now decided to have a day off from being football's Phileas Fogg and announced he's going to stay at Marseille to compete with them in the Champions League next season. And if he completes next season with them, he will equal his own record for length of time stayed at a club, which is a colossal two seasons. Um, <laughs> Andy, there are still questions to be answered here because he has, lest we forget, turned down a contract extension. But after a discussion with President Aero and his squad, who pretty much all want him to stay and, and, and love working with him. Yes. He has decided to take them into next season. But we have FFP to think about, the status of some of his key players. What do you make of this? And will you be starting with an apology after you misled the public on the last episode? Well, I don't think I will be starting <laughs> with an apology because um, I think it was a reasonable calculation. I believe that's uh, this week's nomenclature. Oh, you're starting to sound like one of them, mate. You're starting to sound like one of them. <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but you're, you're beginning to sound like a, a Marseille fan on the internet, actually, badgering journalists. Uh, yeah. But, but, but um, yeah, it's, it's a surprise. There's there's no doubt about it. But um, well, we talked last week about what the timing would be, really, because um, there was a sort of holding pattern in which um, the, the optics were super important both for uh, Andre Villas-Boas and, and, and notably for for the, the president, Jacques Henriejo. Now, part of this, with the players having convinced him to stay at least for the moment, is there's talk of Ejo's, uh dressing room ban being extended because we might remember from last week that Dimitri Payet had banished him from yeah. uh, the dressing room. So uh, that, that will perhaps be extended. I mean, goodness knows what sort of shape they're going to arrive in. In, in next season and it'll be absolutely fascinating to find out of course we're going to has find anyone out seen any photos of Payet has he has he has he done a proper yeah. like Antonio Cassano yeah he looks he looks amazing like of okay. all the players like who've like gone crazy in in, in lockdown and like let it let it all grow Payet, <laughs> Payet looks one of the most au naturel out there he looks he looks excellent okay He's been wasting all that money on like uh, sort of high range futuristic haircuts all these years. It turns out, yeah. But he's got he's got a propensity to be a bit. I mean, you know, this is the pot calling the kettle black, and I am. Apologies, the sound quality <laughs> goes down because I am very much in a giant glass house here. But um, he has got a propensity to put on the beef a little bit, hasn't he? Oh no, it's it's, it's more that he looks like sort of slightly unkempt. Actually, there's 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 right. no there's no suggestion that he's been eating four packets of Jaffa cakes a day or anything like that. Uh, but he looks mm. uh, very. Uh, people might have seen pictures of Roberto Firmino in his first couple of days training back at, uh, at Liverpool, in which he looks 
fantastic. You know, I, I think it's one of the, one of the most endearing things. I think when um, I think Ryan Hun said about how um, post pandemic haircuts of Premier League footballers are the great leveler in modern society. Uh, oh, I, big time! I, I would agree with that. I, th- I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. But do you know what? Right, if if I was someone with Arsenal or St Etienne sympathies listening to this, I wouldn't be interested in hearing any more about Dimitri Payet's haircut or how Andre Villas Boas has just poked me in the eye or any of that stuff. <laughs> I'd be interested in hearing about uh, William Saliba, who of course is an Arsenal player and has been since uh, July last year. And presumably will be shuffling his way belatedly to North London in the next little while. He's completing a loan spell at his um, original team, Saint Etienne, still only 19 years old, of course. Um, but Saint Etienne are, are a bit anxious about how it's going to end. Not, of course, because. Um, the loan contract will expire and they'll still have games to play because the, the, the French league has, has been cancelled. But they've still got something, a little speck in the distance, which is the Coupe de France final against Paris Saint-Germain. And that has been slated perhaps happening in August or as a sort of curtain raiser for for next season. Now, of course, they'd need Arsenal's assent to um, carry him forth. Um but there's a really interesting um, little uh, caveat to this. Basically, when they uh, signed the deal, they uh, got paid 25 million euros by Arsenal for, for Saliba. They got to keep him for a year under what can only be described as a really, really stringent loan contract um, where Arsenal wanted to make sure he'd play regularly and not just ride the bench. Uh, so... Um, it was at, uh, the, uh, he had to play thirty games. That was in the loan contract. Arsenal had a veto of him playing more than one game a week because they wanted to look after him. They've been monitoring him really closely the whole way. Um, this is quite Byzantine, isn't it? I mean, yeah, they'd be tying themselves up in knots, making sure they do it all properly. Arsenal tying themselves up in knots. I don't believe it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, that, so any, anyway, um, th- th- he had um, a few little injuries this season, which cut the possible games he could play. So anyway, they've come to an, ag- an agreement on how many games it would be. I think it's 18 games he's, he's got to play. Anyway, bottom line, they're one game short. That game is the Coupe de France final. And um, if he reaches that point, they get another bonus of two and a half million euros. Now, quite why they would let him stay there so he can play the cup final and they, for the privilege of risking their player in a big game, <laughs> get to pay St Etienne another two and a half million euros. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but that's what St Etienne are, are hoping for at the moment because obviously the money is, is quite a big deal to them. Yeah, and... Um... I mean, it's it's not the easiest sell, is it? So I don't imagine <laughs> I don't imagine they'll be preparing for success. All I will say, though, Andy, is that um, it's a good job I didn't send him on loan to Schalke because if he, if they had done, he'd probably end up playing up front, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, and that leads me nicely on. Uh, no, I think I think our listeners will be watching that uh, William Saliba story. Um, uh, kind of unfold with interest and, and actually Luke what's... please don't go back it's the segue of all segues <laughs> I'll throw him away mate I'll just throw him away I'm not I'm a renegade I'm not a presenter I'm just, I'm just a loudmouth um, but what, what, it, what it does actually throw up is quite an interesting situation because what Arsenal fans are probably maybe they haven't maybe I've misread the room here but as I've said to you before the room I'm sat in I've been on my own for two and a half months so I can be forgiven for misreading it is, is that Arsenal have signed a really potentially a really exciting young centre-back here. And I think it might have been a little bit forgotten. And particularly of all the stuff that's been happening over the last couple of months and the fact that Arsenal have needed a really good, strong centre-back for quite a long time, um, it is something that will remind the fans at least or and actually remind English football that there is a really exciting, talented, strong young centre-back coming to the Premier League who looks like, based on some of the quotes I've read, I've read from Claude Puel, that he actually might be ready to make an impact in the Premier League already. Yeah, um, I, I think that's, that's wholly possible. And um, I think if you look at players from similar sort of backgrounds, actually, I, I, I'm thinking of... Um, uh, Leon Goretzka 
um, before he arrived at Schalke, for example. I mean, he played a year in the second tier at Borkham, um, where we were just a couple of short months ago, uh, fighting mm. against relegation in, in that season. And, you know, I, I know some people think, um, you know, if, if you're going from one situation to, to, to another, it, like, like the, the first situation maybe has no relevance in terms of future experience. I'm not sure that always is the case. I mean, in, in the case of Saliba, obviously he's been playing uh, top division football to a, a very high standard and he's, he's been excellent when he's, when he's played for, for most of this season. And his absences, I think are at least one of the reasons why St. Etienne have, have struggled so badly this season. Um, but I, I do think going through that tough stuff as a teenager can definitely help mould you. And I, I think that is to Arsenal's advantage almost, the, the, the fact that Sinetian have struggled this season. <laughs> Let's cross over to Germany then because there were even more football matches happening over in that amazing country uh, midweek. Uh, Bayern Munich beat Borussia Dortmund at the Westfalen Stadion thanks to a beautifully executed chip from Joshua Kimmich, which everyone just about agrees that um, Roman Berkey probably should have done better with. Now, I know I'm going to get pulled up on this, read my opinion on Berkey a bit later on from Andy, so look forward to that. Um, do you, are you sure you don't want to do that line a second time because you enjoyed it so much the first time? <laughs> Nevertheless, it, I'm carrying on. I am carrying on. <laughs> Nevertheless, it was a lovely goal and worth winning uh, the Classico. It puts Bayern in a pretty imperious position, seven points clear. And crucially, Andy, a situation they've been in time and time again. And despite the odd environment, everyone is playing competitive football at the moment. It's very hard to see them not win their eighth title in a row now. Andy, I know that's something you agree with because I saw you write pretty much the same thing in your Guardian column yesterday. So, um I, 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 I don't think Borussia Dortmund were bad. I thought they did okay. Um, I agree with what Mats Hummel said. He said they played well, but we were good, but just fell a little short. I think that's probably um, probably a fair assessment. But I was really um, happy, actually, as just as a spectator, with the intensity the game was played in. And I actually... I mean, I find myself almost not even remembering there was no fans there, which is yeah. a remarkable thing to say, given the, the environment those games are normally played in, particularly in uh, Dortmund. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? That the players created the intensity. And I, I thought it was a great spectacle, um, particularly in the, in, in the first half. I, I do have a little bit of sympathy for Lucien Favre because um, obviously post-match, he's come under the microscope again. Um, can Dortmund get it done um, in terms of the big games that um, win trophies? And is is it possible to to win the league under under Lucien Favre? Because um, he's fallen short at the last um, with Hertha before. Um, it, it, they didn't get it done at, at the end of last season. And this nearly man tag is sort of sticking to him like he's a Swiss Ranieri. And... Um, it's it's kind of a, a little unfair, I think, in this situation because sounds you... like a sex move, by the way. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I think it's a little unfair because um, if you look at the changes he implemented at half time, I mean they were reasonable changes. Uh, if if you look at like the the fact that he threw on Jaden Sancho and Emre Can to try and force the the, the game, it, I think those were changes that you could, in most contexts, reasonably expect would change the game. Oh, Andy, the changes and he did... made overall. I mean, if you look at the five players that he brought on, um, Gertz, Witzel, Jan, Reiner and Sancho. I mean, that's, that's a very, very strong bench to introduce to a game. Yeah, I mean, there are two ways of looking at that, Luke, aren't, aren't there? Uh, like the, the, the fact that he's he's got much better resources than anyone else in the division apart from Bayern. Or the fact that um, he brought on John and Sancho to change the game, and it did change the game. Dortmund were way less intense after the break because those guys weren't fit. And that is a huge problem. Uh, you know, you can... Um, 
make I know it sounds a bit excuse making to talk about um fitness concerns, but they are lacking a lot of players at the moment. Obviously Dan Axel Zagadou, Marco Royce being the being the big one. Um but the fact that Sancho and John, who's been outstanding since he's arrived in twenty twenty, and he's the sort of player who Dortmund think will be pushing them over the hump, that he wasn't able to do that was hugely influential in the game. And while Bayern toughed it out excellently. I thought they were brilliantly organised. I think you look at uh, the grit, um, the coherence, and um, just the aggression they've got under Hansi Flick. I I think it's excellent. I I think you have to cut Lucien Favre a little bit of slack here. Now, it was interesting because directly after the game, he talked to Sky, and it's something we've spoken about before when... um, we said how he sort of picked at a little bit for, um, in inverted commas, the French-Swiss way that he speaks German, really, um, by by German media. And he said to Sky directly afterwards, and he was put a bit on the spot by the reporter, and um, they were saying, are, are you this this guy who just, you know, can't win titles, basically, in the, in, in the Bundesliga? And he said, well, look, um, I, I know people have said that, and I know people, some people think that, um, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it now. We'll, we'll, look, we'll look at it in a couple of weeks. And so this was immediately taken as oh, he's going to consider his future in the next couple of weeks. So he had to come out and and clarify it. Now, that maybe his, his, his German's a little bit clunky at times, but I felt at the time that a little bit too much was being read into it. And he came out and clarified on, on Wednesday on Sky. Um, I've got a contract. I want to see it out. I like it here. His contract runs till june 2021 but it was hilarious that um on sky germany um it went straight to lothar Mateus. <laughs> Mateus went right he's leaving so kovac is going to be their coach next year that seems like a good hire to me you're like whoa, whoa what happened there that was a bit quick Mateus is mad though isn't he he's just quite <laughs> quite mad but andy it, it does it does i mean i want to talk a bit about berkey but i'm happy to, to talk a bit about five instead i mean i want you to be happy as well please yeah, well, I, I look. What do you want? Do you want Berkey or do you want Favre? You know what? I'm not. I'm not they're, sure. We're going to be equally as uninformed. So take your pick. <laughs> I'm not sure we we separate the two actually because okay. um, as I said in um, my Guardian piece that you were referencing before, is that um, the, the feeling that you get after rewatching that Kimmich goal. And it was interesting hearing uh, Kimmich and Muller and Hansi Flick talking about it afterwards. And they all said, Hansi Flick had, had, had telegraphed it. He said, look at the way Berkey positions himself. A little bit off his line. You know, maybe if you wanted to have a go. I don't think anyone really thought the opportunity would fall to Kimmich or that he would execute it so brilliantly. And I, I don't think we should take anything away from his goal. But there's just something that clings to you with that goal that... It's, it's, it's Dortmund in microcosm, really. It's Lucien Favre in microcosm at Dortmund in the, well, yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit disappointing. It's not a terrible mistake, but, you know, is it where Dortmund... I think Dort- it does show you the difference is between it where the two Dort- sides. Exactly. <clears throat> is it where Dortmund are? They're, they're very good, but not quite elite when it comes to a game like this. I mean, that's the feeling that you get, isn't it? My feeling on the goal itself is that I would be absolutely astonished if Joshua Kimmich and indeed um, the whole the whole Bayern team hadn't studied Roman Berkey's starting position and really identified that as a place that as, as something that could be exploited and and obviously it turned out to be Kimmich doing it. I mean, if you if you want to sort of draw your own conclusions about what a defensive midfield player is doing doing that, then I mean, fair enough. But he's an exceptional player, and he was one of the best fullbacks in the world before he was playing in midfield. So I mean, it's not a huge surprise that he's technically proficient enough to do that. Um, but secondly, with, with Berkey, I don't watch him anywhere near as enough as much as as many people listening will will. But I do watch him enough to know that he doesn't inspire confidence, and it got me thinking as to why that is. And I, I was reading some stuff um, by David Priest, who has featured on Football Ramble Daily before. He's an yeah, ex-professional excellent. goalkeeper, now a coach, and, and a really insightful pundit, particularly when it comes to goalkeeping. And he was talking about Gigi Buffon, and what I hope I'm not paraphrasing him or putting words in his mouth, but he, he was essentially saying that the reason Buffon's been able to last as long as he has um, is because of his 
his just absolutely brutal mastery of the basics and his in his and his attention to detail and his and his passion for just working on those basics over and over again. Now, the fact that he's an outstanding athlete and a brilliant servant to 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 the clubs he's played for and the longevity of his career is a testament to how well he keeps himself in condition and and and, and, and no small amount of talent over and above that. But the mastery of the basics is is really important. And I think if you look at Berkey's starting position there. I think his basics are all wrong. You look at the way he goes for the ball as well, but arguably his wrong hand, it's all wrong. And he doesn't inspire confidence because his basics aren't good enough for the very top level. And if you go into sort of of transition into into a point about Favre, and and feel free to shoot me down on this, but for a manager, he's at a very, very big club at a very, very opportunistic time for a manager who effectively has won absolutely nothing in his entire career. And he's not a young man. I mean, he's, he's in his 60s now. Mm. And I know he's done a decent job at Herter. He's out, out sort of batted his average at Herter. Gladbach, and, and, yeah. And then he did well at Gladbach for a while. I, I get all that. But you, you, Dortmund have to ask themselves a pretty, a pretty serious question, I think. And that is just that, do you think that you can actually break this monopoly, which effectively it is at the top of the Bundesliga? They, Bayern Munich are about to win their eighth league title in a row. Do you break that with a manager who really, I don't want to sound overly harsh, but really doesn't really know how to win? And it's a really important point. I think he's won, what's he won? A couple of Swiss league championships. That's pretty much it. And that does that does count for something at the very top level. I don't know what you think about that, or whether you think that comes across as a bit harsh, Andy. But no, it I think really it's did strike it as stark the difference between the two sides, and, and and that's part of the reason. It's it's a question that needs to be asked, and especially when you get so close and can't quite push it over the top. Um, you know, this is not the same discussion that you have after they get beat beaten four 0 at the Allianz Arena. This is a totally different question because you look at the two games Bayern have lost under Hansi Flick. Um, at home to Leverkusen and away at Borussia, you mentioned Gladbach, who are both very good sides and Champions League contenders. So if not quite in the title conversation, in the same sort of ballpark in that top five at the Bundesliga who've, who've cut themselves away, um, Dortmund were better than either of those, but still not quite good enough to win win this game. Um, and we know that Leverkusen and Gladbach had their had their fortune in, in winning those two games, but I think that's something that that, that you've got to look at. And um, Favre is a question that the club are going to have to discuss at, at the end of the season. Um, th- this isn't a new thing. There've been two, maybe even three points earlier in the season where they've fallen short, and you think. Is he really the coach to take them to the next level? I think there have been several occasions this season where it's gone right, where you've thought, is this the players rather than him? Are they doing this despite him rather than because of him? They've seemed a little bit fettered by his his philosophy, that which can be a little cautious uh, at, at times and is certainly at odds with a lot of the players that they've, they've, they've got on the books. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's totally a question they've got to ask. I mean, basically, we can talk about uh, Sancho and Holland and Gio Reyna and talking Azard and all those players that excite us. But those players, plus uh, Azard, Brandt, etc., they're very Dortmund signings, aren't they? Whereas when you get to mm. bringing Mats Hummels back on a lot of money, when you get to signing Emre Can and actually attracting him from Juventus because he's an established top player and a guy who wants to win, you don't buy those guys to stand pat. You don't buy guys to be that cute little club, do you? You buy those guys to win. So we know which way they're focused. But I think you talked about um, uh, Mateus saying crazy things, but the Kovac point is, is actually worth throwing into discussion, not because I think he'd be a good appointment for Dortmund, but I think this directly affects Lucien Favre's future. Who's out there? Who's out there who can do better? Now, that's why Kovac ended up staying at Bayern at the start of this season, because at the time they decided there wasn't anyone out there. Now, I don't think Dortmund can really find their Hansi Flick, you know, someone who's brought in as an assistant, almost undermining the coach, you know, just in case it goes wrong, we've got a guy who's ready made to to take over. And also, I don't think Bayern could have imagined for a second just how good Hansi Flick would have been when 
he took over because bear in mind they've given him an extended contract now and that definitely wasn't the the plan at the beginning he was like a safe pair of hands if they had to take the nuclear option and and get rid of Kovac after they did when they lost 5-1 at Eintracht Frankfurt in November which seems about a million years ago now <laughs> um but um yeah i i i think there's there's a good chance that if they can't get someone who they think would be an improvement on Favre, they 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 stick with him yeah I mean, I know the, the the initial kind of reaction from some will be, you know, well, Hansi Flick hasn't won anything either. And it's a bit like, well, it's a different situation because he spent, his career path has been vastly different. He spent a long time as the assistant to, to Yogi Love, who in that Germany side have been very successful. And also, I mean, look, he's won 88% of his games. So it's very uh, much a case of so far, so good. And, and I, I suspect this time next month, he will have won his first trophy and it'll be the Bundesliga. So it's something Luke, that Lucien Favre's never won. It's not, it's not just that. It's it's not just that. Uh, I, th- I think with Bayern, it always has to be ab- about the, the the journey as well as the, the the destination. Because as you've said, they're heading for an eight successive Bundesliga title. They've looked the real deal in the in, in the Champions League this season. Now, some will say well, one of those was the the seven two at Tottenham under Kovac. Well, that showed that the players were there, and that showed that on any given night, even when they weren't. Incredible, actually. They weren't seven-two kind of good. You know, it can all click into gear, and and, and they can mm. and they can put all their chances away. The way they played at Chelsea um, in in the first leg of the last sixteen was was excellent. Um, but it is the the style with which they've played. It's the way in which the players have applied themselves. Um, it's the fact that he's got more and more out of Thomas Müller, who who never got on with with Kovac, and at various times. Even Pep Guardiola didn't really know how to use. Um, it's, it's the fact that he's commanded the respect of those big players, um, that he's solved a load of positional conundrums. I mean, you've got um, Alfonso Davis obviously coming in and looking like a world-beating left-back. Yeah, a revelation. He, when he arrived as a winger. Th- that in turn has meant David Alaba playing as a centre-back where he's been mm. brilliant. And um, something that uh, our friend Kevin Hatchard pointed out to me, he said one of the most fascinating things about there being no crowd is you hear who the shouters are in the team and that Alaba talks through the whole game is something that he found really impressive and mate did you see how hard David Alaba smacked Joshua Kimmich around the head after he scored (laughs) absolutely brutal it was way over the line in my opinion I mean, I don't think Joshua, poor Joshua, know what to do. He's, he's been wrestled a few times at that stadium. Do you remember where he had his on-pitch coaching from uh, Pep Guardiola after that yeah. nil-nil draw a few years yeah. back? He was, he's been yeah. grabbed around the cheeks like he was a little Nathan Redmond. <laughs> let's um, let's just do a quick line, because um, Andy, I mean, listeners will will not be surprised to know that you and I do speak on WhatsApp as well as once a week on this on this show. And, and you sent me one... Um, uh, about Schalke he sent me a WhatsApp the other day saying and I'm just going to read it verbatim Schalke are a bit like the UK cabinet at the moment each week you think they can't do worse than the last and yet they find a way and that was sent before they capitulated against Fortuna last night and although a few German football heads have been sympathetic to Schalke's injury plight um, they've also been a bit confused as to Wagner's team selection since the restart. They've looked awful since everyone came back. And last night, he resorted to chucking a six-foot-five centre-back up front at one stage, as I mentioned or alluded to earlier. It doesn't look good for them, does it? They are sinking like an absolute stone. Yeah, Luke, it's not just the bit that um, he ended up playing with uh, towering centre-back Salif Sané up front. It's the fact that he made a substitution to make it happen. So this was... The point I think where he lost quite a few Schalke fans, David Wagner, <laughs> the, Stuart, the old Stuart Pearce. Yeah, yeah. The 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 fact that he he took off uh, Rabi Matondo, um, who intermittently had, had looked very good, and um, I think has been really had a bit too much pressure put on him since he arrived in Germany because he took that route from uh, Manchester City to the Bundesliga. People expect him to be Jadon Sancho. You can't be Jadon Sancho. He's he's an exceptional talent. And Matondo is a 19-year-old with a lot of ability who's, who's developing, but developing at a more normal rate. Anyway, he was hooked for a defender, Jean-Claire Todibo, who's uh, on loan from Barcelona. And obviously at this point, Fans are thinking, what on earth is going on here? But then Wagner's, aha, 
but I've got this up my sleeve and just, you know, a lot of British managers would be absolutely ridiculed for that, wouldn't they? Sticking a six foot five centre back up front. As it transpired, won loads of great flick-ons to no one because Matondo and Daniel Caligiuri, their best player, had been hooked by by then. Um, I mean, Wagner's got a a huge problem, I I, I think. And... um, you know, you, you look at the the, the Hinrunde, the return round of of, of the Bundesliga. Um, statistically, they are the worst team in it over those eleven games. They've got a goal difference of of, of minus nineteen. They've scored three goals during that time, and one of them, once it put them one nil up at Fortuna Düsseldorf, who I think Uwe Rosler has done a really good job there and the performances have been better than the results so far and they're still in with a fighting chance of, of, of getting themselves out of relegation trouble. Um, you, you've, you've, got to, you've got to have your foot on the throat after that and instead they gave away two cheap goals from free kicks. Now, when Wagner was talking post-match, he was saying, well, look at the goals we conceded, almost saying, well, you know, I can't be blamed for that. But almost worse than that, I thought, was was the tactics. I mean, because they've been leaking goals for fun, they just played really, really defensively against the team who are the lowest scorers in the Bundesliga, um, who lost two big goal scorers at the start of the season in Dodi Lukabakio, who went back to his parent club, Watford, who then sold him to Hertha, and uh, then Benito Rahman, who, who went to Schalke. And yeah, you looked like half an hour into the game. And... Um, Fortuna had had 78% possession. I mean, yeah, with, they with, absolutely dominated the ball throughout the game, really. With, with the best will in the world. They're not Barcelona, are they? And, you know, I think you got to the end of the game and, and Schalke had like 35% of the ball. Now, they've got a bigger wage bill than Fortuna. They've got better resources. They've got better players. I understand they've got injury at the moment, injuries at the moment, but show some guts and, and, and try and win the game. Yeah. I think this is the point where. Wagner has, has has really started to to lose the fan base. That's that's the concern, and and maybe started to lose the club because the the confidence um, going out the, the the team is plain to see. But when people talk about you know um, coaches losing the dressing room, I think what's more concerning here is that Wagner has started to lose his confidence and started to make some really bad decisions. We know there's some natural levelling out after the first half of the season because the squad's not amazing. But if you look at the fact that um, they've he, there's some of the decisions he's made since they've come back, like when he um, made his two attacking substitutions at Dortmund at half-time, which we spoke about um, a week or two ago, where yeah, that it just al- allowed did for him that did. Well, it just allowed them to be picked off on the counter attack so yeah. easily. It played into Dortmund's hands, and he should know that better than most. And then, um, then this after after what happened against Augsburg at the weekend, it's hard to see how much longer it can go on. <laughs> Okay, now for our the latest missive in our soon-to-be award-winning series called uh, This Is When Football Is Coming Back In This Country. Uh, we turn <laughs> to Spain because Javier Tebas appeared on Movie Star's hashtag Back to Win show, which is a lovely name for a TV show, uh, this week, um, earlier this week. And the current working plan, and, he, and as, as we've said actually over the last few weeks, that uh, Tebas has been pretty... Um, pretty open in what he wants to do and he's tried to really lead the narrative for better or worse he's he's, he's been out there trying to trying to fight the fight and um he said the current working plan is for La, uh, La Liga to return with a big Seville derby on Thursday June the 11th and the rest of the fixtures would obviously follow that weekend he also said they need to finalize it with the Spanish High Sports Council and that players won't be training in full groups until today that's Thursday 28th of May as we record now on the subject of kickoff time, something that we've discussed uh, a number of weeks ago now because of the temperatures in Spain through that, throughout the summer, Teva said that we'd be seeing some pretty late kickoffs, particularly in the hottest parts of the country. Um, I'll quote him here. He said, our plan for kickoff times during the week would be to play in the afternoon or evening between 7.30, 8pm or 9.30, 10pm. I love the fact that it's so Spanish to call 7.30pm afternoon. Um over the over the weekend, there will be three slots, um, 5 p.m. That's just for teams in the north, though, of course, 7.30 and 9.30 or 10 p.m. Now, Andy, before I get your thoughts on this, something that came to mind um, or basically um, 
grabbed my attention uh, relating to, to La Liga and Spanish football coming back in the country is from um, our friend Dermot Corrigan, a previous writer of for Football Ramble back in the day and, and a friend of the show. He, he, he tweeted saying that... Um, saying the following. La Liga statement on playing Mondays points out again that Spanish football accounts for 1.37% of the country's GDP, generates 185,000 jobs and pays over 4 billion euros in tax each year. Now, the reason I bring that to the table is just because it's a bit of extra information around the debate about whether football is important, in quotes, or whether it should come back and what what's, um, what's sort of the priority. Now, of course, the priority is the health and safety of everyone concerned, but also it is it is valid to make statements like that to say that you know this is actually very important for not just the the, the, the mental well being and for the entertainment of the country, but also the economy of the country as well. And that has to be a factor. I don't think it has to be a factor over above the health and safety of, of the citizens, but it is a factor nonetheless, isn't it? It is a factor, um, but I, I think. Javier Tebas is laying it on a little bit thick here. and I think he's using the opportunity um, to try and bring back Monday games, which, of course, um, had, had, had been negotiated out of forthcoming seasons uh, when we go back to so a bit of a the, land grab, you the think? pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I think they're, they're definitely trying to um, put themselves in a position where they can say, this has worked for us going forward. I mean, the, the fact that whether they play on Mondays or not, there's absolutely no relation really to, to, to how much of, of, of the economy it makes up. We understand that football's coming back. Um, but this idea that football has to be on every waking moment, I would like to think that um, if this situation that has, has affected the lives of everyone around the world has taught us one thing it's like football is really nice to have do we need it every single day i, I realize they're, they're they're trying to get stuff done by a, a certain point but this to me feels like um right okay now the bundesliga has had its turn so now we want to take over television all over the world and what we're going to do is we're going to do that by um being omnipresent so I understand that there's an economic imperative and, and, and maybe that, maybe that profile is 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 part of it to, to reinflate the Spanish football economy. Um, but I personally think that um, we've we've had a few bits of mail in the in, in the Ramble inbox that have have concurred with this. Um, you know how we, we, we think that things should maybe be different going forward in all aspects of life. I'd like to think that you know maybe we don't need football at like actual matches every single day because when um, Javier Tebas was was talking about that um, when he was putting together the plan, I thought, oh, well, he probably means football content every single day. He doesn't mean matches every single day. It turns out he probably does mean matches every, every single day, and I wonder if that's a, a little bit much. Of course, as you say, um, in, until the Spanish High Sports Council gets together we won't know the exact schedule before confirming the schedule that they've they've, they've put in place they um that they, they have to get the agreement um part of that it looks like um the the idea that um that there was going to be 5 p.m slots for for games in the north of the country that that seems to be off the table now the, the earliest oh, games okay. can the earliest games can kick off is is, is seven thirty. That's that's the latest information we have, and that to me seems really reasonable. I mean, you were talking about the the first game back being um, El Gran Derby between Sevilla and Betis, and I think that's a great way to to kick it off again, and you know, a great advert for La Liga if we want to go back to what the, what they're aiming to do because. Um, it is their opportunity, just as the Bundesliga has had its opportunity to to show itself, to to say that there is more to La Liga than than just Real Madrid versus Barcelona. It's a great way to start it off. It's slated to kick off at um, ten o'clock local time, and to my mind, if you look at um, the health and safety of the players beyond the current situation of COVID nineteen, just in terms of um, them being able to get through the games. Um, 
I don't think you can have games that kick off in Seville much earlier than that, to be honest. It's going to be no. really, really hot. It's going to be a tough ask, given the breaks they've had from intense competition as well. It's going to be a really difficult one for them, and they'll have to use their subs carefully and make sure that they um, they take responsible action. I mean, just just to come back very, very quickly on your points at the top of that little section about um, about Spanish football and, and, and the need for, for games every day, etc., I've I've lamented the, the early all throughout the season really before the pandemic came along and we had to suspend all football. I've lamented the the frequency of football. I think it's been far too much. I think there's been no build up to big games and no time for reflection on them afterwards because we've always been moving on to the next thing. There's it's cannibalizing, isn't it? Absolutely. And there's been several weeks I think this season, I think I'm right in saying where there's been a game almost every day. Uh, if not every day, then certainly six days a week. And I think it's too much. But and here's here's where I kind of differ from you slightly. I don't I don't know intimately the politics of of the Monday night games and the issue around that in Spain. I'm a bit more versed in it when it comes to Germany, and I know that fan groups have been successful in, in in kind of fighting against that and stopping that happening. But I do think this in special circumstances, you have to commit to it. If you if you if you're going to bring the games you bring the, the league back and you're going to try and commit it and finish the season in good order there's certain certain situations have to be met and certain circumstances have mm. to be allowed for i mean I, I don't i don't support clearly i don't support any kind of land grab by the, the the decision makers in the game as it pertains to grabbing something that, that that wasn't previously on the table and then sticking to it over and above what the special circumstances are i suspect we'll see a lot of that happening in this country andy particularly as it pertains mm. to the premier league and the football league and all the bailouts that are going to be needed there I don't support that. But broadly speaking, I do support the idea that if you're going to come back in special circumstances, then certain concessions may have to be made. All right, a really interesting story is bubbling up in Netherlands, okay? But first, a, a quick recap on what the state of football is there at the moment. The season was declared null and void last month after the government announced there would be no sport played again until September the 1st. Now, many of you listening will remember that as we covered it here on the show. As a result, um, the KMVB, or Dutch FA, awarded Ajax the automatic Champions League spot, while AZ, uh, who were in second place at the time, were told they'd have to go through the qualifiers. Now, here's where it gets interesting, you guys. AZ were only second to Ajax on goal difference. And at the time, there were still nine games left to play. AZ's argument is that they beat Ajax home and away in the league this season. And goal difference isn't an objective differentiator. Of course, some other leagues in Europe go on head-to-head, which would have put RZ top. The KNVB have said they have no plans to change their decision, though. And so RZ have written to UEFA. Andy... This raises a couple of questions, right? The first one is, why do RZ think they're going to get this change, given the rules of the competition presumably state that goal difference is the differentiator? And secondly, perhaps more mischievously, are RZ insinuating that Ajax are the fashionable ones, the historic ones, the golden boys of Dutch football, etc., and are so being looked after by the authorities here? I find this an absolutely fascinating story. Yeah, it is a fascinating story. And I think the way that it's rolled out is is, is really fascinating as well. Because um, if, if you look at the fact that um, Edwin van der Sar, the managing director of Ajax nowadays, said it, what an unpleasant surprise it, it, it was. They didn't know this was coming, so this this mm. for them was was a, a a really a really big shock. I mean, I don't really know what RZ wanted to achieve by this, other than drawing attention to what their particular situation is. Um, I, I think because equally, Ajax could say, okay, well, if that's unfair, um, the the way the season's going to roll out, we've got bigger resources, we've got better players. We probably would have won the league anyway, and I, I don't think that's an unreasonable argument when you look into. But you don't know, do you? That's the key. No, no, you you, you don't know. You don't know. Uh, but I think changing the parameters of what's already happened is 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 ridiculous as well. You know, so mm. I wonder if there's a, a little bit of of, of tension here from from RZ's perspective because for them it's. It's awfully tricky, isn't it? They're in a situation where um, they have had an outstanding season that they feel will be 
relatively unrewarded because they've got to play four games extra if they're going to get into the Champions League. Four games more than Ajax, I should say. They've got to play six games if they want to get into the Champions League as stands. We don't know exactly how it's going to roll out in terms of the Champions League once um, 2021 Champions League starts. But uh, it's the difference between Ajax getting into the playoff round and having to play um, one home and away tie to qualify. And um, AZ starting from the second qualifying round which yeah. is, it's, it's a steep climb, isn't it? You know, there's no no two ways about that. And that's what made it amazing, really, when Ajax got themselves into the, the, the Champions League semi-final because they come from an awful long way back. For them, it was tough to get into the Champions League, let alone... Yeah get to the, the, the point where they could they could get into the latter stages of it, ne- never mind the, the, the financials of it. That's and playing by the way, Andy, to get there. It's worth pointing out as well that um, said, I mean, to give people a bit of context, because it all does get a little bit confusing, the um, the qualification for the Champions League at this point, that there, there's some there's some difficult games they could play. I mean, they could play in the qualify, second qualifying round, they could, I think they could play the Swiss champions. Um, they, and then in, in the um, in third qualifying round, um, they can play. I think. I think there's two teams that are already in that qualification round, the third, third, third level in Rennes and um, Ghent of Belgium. There's, there's a good chance they'll play a pretty decent Portuguese side as well. Um, so it does. It does make a big difference. Yeah, it's not a given. It's absolutely not a given. And um, I think the thing is with them as well. You look at their squad and um, some of the young players who've been so outstanding for them this season. I'm looking particularly at Myron Boadu, uh, Calvin Stengs. Um, and if you're them, you think, are we going to be able to hold on to them? Especially with the way that the transfer market's recalibrating. You know, yeah. may, maybe like bigger clubs who would have gone to Germany to buy a player, will now go to the Netherlands to buy a player. You know, what sort of and team like are they... for um Osama Idrissi as well, he's been fantastic. And he, yeah. And presumably he's attracting the interest of other, other teams as well because he's he's got time on this side. He's contributed an awful lot to RZ this season. That's yeah, absolutely. Exciting player as well. Absolutely. So what are they left with going forward? So I can understand that sort of desperation to... Um, a certain degree and you know I think it's unrealistic to think that there's not more much more politicking behind the scenes than than, than we're currently seeing and maybe this is uh, one of the first big ones to to sort of come to the surface um, but yeah I, I mean I guess it's like Marseille if we're going to go all the way back to the top not knowing what sort of squad you're going to go into next season with um, because they're going to come under enormous pressure to sell, I think. I can understand why they, they, they want to make the most out of the, the situation and, and, and try and bank as much as they can. Because the thing is, if you're um, going into the Champions League playoffs, of course, that's not rather than the, the second qualifying round. That's no guarantee that you're going to get there. It is a guarantee that you're going to be in the Europa League again which yeah. means something. I mean, we talk about how financially the Europa League is is far less rewarding than the Champions League. It's, it's rewarding to a club of RZ side and a, and a, a club in, in the Eredivisie. So that's something um, we have to look at. And of course, they've, they've had this quite difficult season in a way because they couldn't even play at home at the start, could they? Because, you know, part of the roof on their their stadium collapsed. So when, when they played Manchester United, they played um, the home game in in Den Haag, which which was pretty tough for them. So it's, it's been a really extraordinary season for them, one way and another. And I, I can understand why they want to extract reward for it. But it sounds to me that as interesting as the story is, Andy, um, you, you don't um, you don't think there's much legs in this anyway. Well, UEFA just said no. They said no, yeah. and they t- they told Ajax, which is how Ajax found <laughs> out about it. Well, listen, it made for a good five or six minutes content on this show. I found it an interesting <laughs> story, so that's the name of the game. All right, um, should we should we have a little? Should we should we herald uh, with much fanfare the return of games of the week? Should we do that? Yeah, let's do that. And I think All right, people can I go first? No, please do. Yeah, I want to get mine out of the way, really. I just wanted to kind of follow up on what we've been speaking about in terms of Germany this week and in previous weeks. Um, that um, It's worth pointing out that the Saturday afternoon sees a titanic clash 
between um, probably two of the shittest teams <laughs> in uh, in Europe at the moment. Now, I understand a large part of that will be through default, but nonetheless, Schalke do entertain Werder Bremen. And um, it will literally, this, this game, if it goes to form, will literally be like, I know, I know Werder Bremen have been slightly better since the restart, but it, what, go with me here. This will be like when a really shit candidate goes on to X Factor and you can't take your eyes <laughs> off it. So do watch Schalke v Werder Bremen to see, I mean, it's going to be a race to the bottom. Let's be perfectly clear about that. And the interesting aspect to this is I think you have to make Werder Bremen favourites, chiefly because there's two reasons for it. One is because they've been the better side since the restart. Secondly, because the one thing we, I think one conclusion we can draw from the German restart is that essentially home advantage is over. It's completely over. I mean, if you, if you take the, that, that Fortuna Dusseldorf Schalke game we covered it briefly earlier, that was one of only two home wins in this round of fixtures. And I think there might have only been two at the weekend as well, which is ridiculous to think of. So I think you have to make Werder Bremen big favourites for this game. And I think it could start to usher in the beginning of the end for, for David Wagner. So I'm going to go for Schalke v Werder Bremen Saturday afternoon at 2.30. Bottom line is, is Chico time, right? Hundred percent, but no. But the thing with Chico is, uh, I mean, I don't want to go too 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 drawn out on this. <laughs> but the thing with Chico is, he undoubtedly has some kind of charisma. I think it's actually much more apt to compare them to Wagner, not David Wagner, Wagner from X Factor a number of years ago. Uh, and the name is a is a is a is a lovely coincidence as well. Magnificent. Well, uh, of course, as uh, regular listeners will know, I love a bit of free football and I know you do too. Um, so if, if you've not been watching BT Sport and you've been listening on the radio or if you just fancy a different league and a bit of free football, Lech Poznan versus Legia of Warsaw on uh, Saturday night at seven o'clock on Free Sports which is now available in HD, as we know. Um, I'm interested to get, <laughs> get, get to know the extra Can I, Andy, can I just better. say, can I, you are not under the pay of free sports in any capacity. No, yet no you I'm not. You absolutely love it. It's like you even, you've written your own taglines, marketing taglines for the service. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I just, I just love a bit of free stuff. It's it's good, isn't it? I mean, now know, in I, HD, I think, as we know, I think <laughs> I think I think we can easily make the assumption that everyone's got uh, every football package going, and it's expensive, you know. Um, yeah, that's, so, right. that's a fair point. You're so, a man of the people, especially the fact that um, you know the, the fragmentation of football rights. Maybe eventually that will give the consumer greater choice. For the moment, it just means you need like a ton of subscriptions to yeah. watch all the football you want if you want to watch it all. So, I mean, this is a league that a lot of people won't be familiar with, two enormous clubs, and it's free on a telly. Great stuff. All right, Andy, thank you very much for your company today. As ever, thank you very much to everyone listening along as well. We very much appreciate it. Um, if you get a, get a moment, do um, check out our Patreon. There's lots of extra content available over there. Uh, there'll be a competition as well for Patreon subscribers announced tomorrow on the preview show with Marcus, Jim, Pete and I. Uh, looking forward to that too. Uh, if you get a moment as well, do leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. It does really help. Thank you very much indeed. Andy, you will obviously be answering European football questions on the mailbag, uh, available to Patreon subscribers as well, won't you? So people should look out for that and get their questions in as well. Um, And all that's left for me to say is thank you very much. Have a great rest of your Thursday and weekend. And uh, we'll speak to you next week. Say goodbye, Andy. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me as well. This was a Stakhanov production.